The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or... Treatment advice. Good one. Today on The Lab Report, we're going to talk to Dr. Molly Maloof. Precision medicine, key opinion leader, clinician, now the author of an upcoming book. And we're going to talk about just about everything. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Do you remember the TV guide? I do. Did you, did you guys have a TV guide? Were you TV no, guide everyone had the TV guide. It was even in the newspaper every day. It's check. No, it's not everyone tonight. had a TV guide, Patty. Oh. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm doing okay, Patty. How are you doing? I'm feeling really bad now that you're like shaming me that I said everybody has a TV guide. We didn't have cable. <laughs> we had about eight channels. So when you um, only have eight channels, listen. you don't need to pay the $15 a month for the TV guide. It's a guide. whole different world. You're now aging us. Anyway, this is a podcast called The Lab Report. It's brought to you on behalf of Genova Diagnostics. Thanks, Genova. Thanks, Genova. And it's where we talk about things like specialty lab testing. That's a word, right? I mean, labortes- you've can you tell I'm sick? Words. Can you tell I'm on day five of a flu? I sound great. I say things like lab testing. You're conserving energy, trying to mash words together. <laughs> <laughs> Blah. Uh, specialty laboratory testing, integrative therapeutics, functional specialty, integrative. All that stuff. Precision medicine. You know what? You know why you're here. And if you're excited about the show, if you're new, welcome. And if you're returning, thanks. And if you want to continue to listen to Michael contract words together to try to conserve energy and just go bleh, <laughs> then head on over to iTunes or Spotify. Perhaps subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends. Leave us a review. If you have additional feedback, you can send it to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address, it in case is. you didn't know. We have one. <laughs> we do. Even and though we talk about TV guides, we actually have an email address. <laughs> And if you're a patient and you're interested in ordering Genova's testing directly, head on over to connect.gdx.net. There you can order tests or we'll connect you with a Genova client to help guide your healthcare. Yeah, check that out. Genova Connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you make a good point about the TV guide. I mean, this was such a thing, right? To have remember having getting the TV guide in the mail and yet no one knows what we're talking about. <laughs> no one like because <laughs> most of you probably don't know. But originally mm-hmm. Your TV wasn't a computer. No, not only that, the TV ended at like midnight. TV just stopped. Sure, sure. There was not, it was like the Star Spangled Banner, then just vertical lines, and it was over. Right. Like everyone go to bed. But nowadays, and it's been so long since Dish and all this and cable mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff where you've got the guide channel, you just hit the button, the guide, and tells uh. you what's coming up. That didn't used to happen. You had no idea of knowing what was coming next. You either had to memorize it, and that's why you had to rely on the wow. TV guide because you never knew like what movie was going to be the special movie or did they change the time of Matlock? Like, who knows, right? This is another example of your early onset grumpiness. Can't you just adapt with the time, sir? No, truth is, I was just I was nostalgic about it because oh, I remember that I excitement you. of like getting that like, oh, what's going to be on the eight channels for uh-huh. the next <laughs> week? You know, with shared experiences. So speaking of shared experiences and everyone knowing and watching and learning the same things, everyone out there has, has like the flu like I do. No, oh. has likely heard of our guest today, Dr. Molly oh, Maloof. Yeah. I mean, in spite of the fact that there's 65 million other ways you can get education and TV and radio and podcasts, she's basically everywhere. 
Well, yeah, and there's there's nowhere else you would want to get information uh, other than Molly Maloof because she's just so freaking incredibly smart. Mm-hmm. Um, she's pretty much ruining the careers of all the other influencers out there who it's are not, trying to make a name. It's not a lie. It's true. Well, and with that, I mean, her new concept, the spark factor, uh. is super intriguing um, and I think really gets to the core of a lot of the, the functional medicine principles and a lot of the integrative medicine principles. So can't wait to talk to her about it. She's got a new book coming out called The Spark Factor. It's amazing. So let's just uh, get her on the horn. Michael Chapman. Yes. She's finally here. I know. I know. Dr. Molly Maloof. And for those so of you who do not know Dr. Molly, perhaps you live under a rock. Let me tell you a little bit about who she <laughs> is. Dr. Molly Maloof is a highly sought after international speaker and leader in precision medicine. She received her medical degree from the University of Illinois College of Medicine. In her concierge practice, Dr. Molly provides health optimization and personalized medicine to high achieving entrepreneurs, investors, and tech executives in Los Angeles and the Bay Area, as well as award winning. Hollywood actors and musicians. Nice. She's been an advisor or consultant to more than 50 companies in digital health, consumer health, biotechnical industries, helping with clinical strategies, product development, clinical research, and scientific marketing. She was a regular lecturer at Stanford University and has spoken at countless high-profile conferences and corporations, as well as numerous national TV programs and podcasts, including The Lab Report. Dr. Molly's latest book, The Spark Factor, The Secret to Supercharging Energy, Becoming Resilient, and Feeling Better Than Ever, is due to release January 31st. And with that, welcome to the show, Dr. Molly. Thanks, Patty. How's it going today? It's going great. We're so excited to speak to you. So many questions. Oh, so many questions. Dr. Molly, so <laughs> I want to start here. So conventionally trained medical doctor, what happened? Like, oh. when did the light bulb moment? How did you, how did you get out of the system? Um, <laughs> right. right. Like, what happened there? So, I mean, I took a major leap of faith in 2012 when I was just not feeling very good about my life in the medical system. Mm -hmm. I didn't really like the person I was becoming. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like the system I was working in was going to make me healthier. I thought it was going to make me sick. Mm -hmm. Um, I started seeing attendings of mine come out, you know, come down with really serious illnesses. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like I was working in a sick care system. Mm -hmm. That was really, it's really a sickness billing industrial complex designed to bill and code for disease. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what? I think I can get my license and I can start my own practice. And um, I'd, I'd seen other doctors do it. I knew that there was precedent and I had seen Andrew Weil's career where he, he actually left his residency, didn't pursue his licensure, but he did go into building integrative medicine. Mm-hmm. So I was like, there's definitely a possibility for me to succeed outside of the system, but it's going to be, a, I have to have a lot of bravery and courage to do it. Mm. Um, so basically I, um, you know, started my own medical practice. And then I was like, well, wait, how do I fund this thing? And I was right. like, well, if I can design this thing, however I want, I guess I'm going to do it without an office. I'm going to do it all without paper. I'm going to do wow. it with, a, a, I mean, I really was just like, I'm gonna have a paperless practice without mm. brick and mortar. And I'm going to do it um, with executives who have income to pay for optimal health. Right. And the reason why I chose this is because I was like, I was just really curious on like how I, how I could build a practice around 
improving health instead of just fixing sickness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really split my time in my practice with certain, I had, I initially started out doing personalized medical research. So I was um, hired by people. I was working for a company called MetaMed. It was um, funded by this famous investor, Peter Thiel. And it was basically like a company that would help people solve medical problems using medical research. And so it's like basically a medical research team for hire. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a particularly scalable business, but it did teach me a lot about how to think about how to solve problems, mm-hmm. how to use bioinformatics, how to think about bias and logic and reasoning and medical literature. And, um, and then... I left that job after about a year and I was like, I want to do my own thing and I want to build my own practice. And so I started working for startups as like a side hustle so I could fund my practice. Mm. And so um, started basically working for early stage startup companies that were looking for a doctor who could help them understand the healthcare system and work within the frameworks of healthcare, but also you know, they didn't have a lot of money. Even if they were well-funded, they didn't want to spend it on like a chief medical officer. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like this part-time chief medical officer for hire type role. So I came out as a consultant and just started working with startups. And really what was fun about my life in the last 10 years and what is fun about my life is like, I have a lot of freedom. I get to be an entrepreneur. Um, I get to work with startups. I advise a bunch of companies. That's led to me kind of building my own personal brand and then all these relationships I've built with all these cool companies, they're like it totally supporting me in my book launch. Mm-hmm. So it feels very generative. And, you know, I, 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 the entrepreneurship bug just kind of gets to you after you work with enough companies, you're like, wow, I really need to do this too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, um, so I founded this company, Adama Bioscience, because I really felt like um, human connection was this, we, we, we know based on the Harvard research of the, this 80 year study in Harvard that like close personal relationships is related, like basically correlated with long-term health and happiness. Mm -hmm. And yet that wasn't really taught to me in medical school and residency. And it really wasn't your job as a doctor to actually address human relationships, even though so much of the time people were getting sick because of the stress of their home life or their work life. So I was like, how can I study the science of love and turn this into products and services and really take the Western paradigm of love, which is sexuality, love, attachment, so um, and then social connection, familial bonds is part of that as well, um, and then build products and services around that. And so that's what I'm doing next. But right now I'm launching this book, The Spark Factor, and Amazing. it's based on this course I taught at Stanford for three years called Live Better Longer, Extending Health Span for Longer Lifespan. And it's also based on my medical practice and all the work that I've done with startups. So it's like someone basically called it the biohacking Bible because they're like, wow, you really covered everything. But, um, you know, part of the reason I wanted to come on your podcast was because I really do believe that data driven health optimization is something that everybody should should be doing Mm -hmm. in order to avoid getting sick. Mm -hmm. And I have would never I wouldn't have been able to do my my practice if I hadn't had a doctor teach me how to use functional labs like 10 years ago. And my mentor basically was like, I'm like, how do I do what you do? How do I optimize health? And he's like, you got to read this textbook. And he gave me the textbook of functional medicine. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you got to learn these labs. And it, one was the NutraVal. Uh-huh. One was the the, um, the the complete hormones, I believe. And then another, another one was um, this, the GIFX. Right. And like, I'd say these labs were really like the fundamental beginning of my medical practice. Yay. <laughs> so that's why like Genova matters to me so much because I, do, I just don't think that there's, I mean, there's a lot of com- competitors out there, but I've just, you guys have been around for so long Mm -hmm. and 
really like your, your, your data has like really, really driven a lot of my, my decisions and how I work with clientele. So it's been that. a really cool journey to like, you know, go, go on with you guys. Awesome. Well, I will say it's very forward thinking. It's really brave and forward thinking this trajectory that you've taken. And I want to touch a little bit on your book that's coming out sure. quite soon, January 31st, yeah. everyone called the spark factor. And it outlines a uniquely tailored way to speak to the biology of women. Um, and with yeah. all the biohacker information that's out there these days, first, what do you mean by the spark factor? And, sure. and why did you write this book? Yeah. So when I, when I try to communicate like really complex, like topics to the world, yeah. it's really hard. When I first started this book, I wrote this proposal and my agent's like, well, this is fine. It's just, you're writing a very technical book. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's like, you're going to, you might want some help from this woman, Eve, who Eve actually introduced me to my agent and Eve helped me write this proposal. And it really took a while to figure out how do we explain to people the energy of life that runs through every one of your cells, the spark of life, this bioenergetic capacity, how do we communicate that in a simple way? Mm -hmm. And really when you, when a sperm meets an egg, there is a spark that that literally like creates and powers life. And this and this is really rooted in, I mean, this this initial spark is actually a zinc spark, but really the energy of life is what's created in the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't have energy, you wouldn't have cell division. Right. So you can't have if you took all the mitochondria out of a cell, it would not it would not actually turn into a human because without energy, you cannot create life. And so the mitochondria are really the frontier of medicine today. And when I learned this, it changed my entire practice. It changed my entire health. It changed my relationship to um, my spirituality. It changed everything for me yeah. because I realized that I literally been focused so much. And I think this, the whole idea that like, you know, with the human genome project, that genetics are really like the root of disease. Mm -hmm. That was this old pathological theory. And it's still being kind of promulgated by people like David Sinclair, who I really do respect, but if you have the architectural plans of the cell and you have <clears throat> no energy mm. to actually use those plans and turn it into a thing, mm -hmm. right. you know, to, to translate proteins, to cause cell division, you don't get anything. Right. So mm. it's kind of like, I realized that like genetics was essentially the architectural plans, but epigenetics was the transcription and the translation of these plans yep. into actual, you know, matter mm -hmm. and that needed energy. And so I was like, Whoa, 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 whoa. If, if it's, if, if we've been thinking all this time that there's like problems in the genes and that's what disease comes from, I think we've been a little bit off base because I had met actually as people that were outside of the medical system that introduced me to mitochondria, this guy, Ben Gibson, who's a amazing friend, who's an entrepreneur himself. Mm -hmm. He runs a biotech company and he's building um, pancreatic cancer treatments based on mitochondrial research. Mm -hmm. And he went from being a you know, overweight and, you know, out of shape uh, investment maker to basically becoming an absolutely ripped big wave surfer and yogi. Wow. And <laughs> I mean, the guy is like a giant and he's so spit. And I met him in my yoga class and I was like, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. And we became friends and he would, and I would kind of like, I'm one of those people who, if I feel like somebody has something to teach me, I will literally hound them. <laughs> so I was like, Ben, you got to teach me what you know, because I don't know who you are, but what is, whatever it is that you know about health is something great. And he was like, okay, come over we'll talk. Mm -hmm. So I would sit with him in his living room and he would just talk to me for hours and just teach me about mitochondrial health. And I was like, oh my God, like, I feel like I found the Holy Grail. And 
I don't know if you guys have heard this book uh, by Christopher Palmer, MD, from no. Harvard yeah. called uh, Net yeah. Brain yes, Energy. Yes. yes. Right. But when I read his book, I was like, oh my God, now I have the complete theory of modern disease. <laughs> yeah. Like, this has been a childhood dream of mine since fifth grade to understand human suffering. And I genuinely think that with what we know now about how mental health develops from human abuse and neglect, but also the effects of our lifestyles on our brain, the sort of bi-directional relationship between our interpretation of our environment and our experiences and our biology and physiology. It's like, we actually have everything we need now, I think, to solve most modern chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. I really do believe this. Yeah. I think it's gonna be really hard, but I, I believe we're heading, I mean, as bad as the world seems right now, I, I wake up every day now and I'm like, I actually think that if we can figure out climate change and we can figure out this, you know, this, all, you know, this sort of a world conflict crap, we have all the science we need mm -hmm. to reverse chronic disease and reverse mental health dys dysfunction, but it's going to take legions of people that are going to go out and educate the masses because right now the biggest problem people have is the messages are being sent by the media are to buy processed food and packaged food and fast food, not to use your body to move at all, drive everywhere and to read the news and stress out every day and to basically like a lot of, I mean, I had, I saw these two people at the coffee shop today getting into literally a crying match and an argument match. And I was like, man, if they only knew that they're actually hurting their health by just getting mm. into these deep conflicts mm. with one another. Mm. And I just feel like it's a, it's, it's both a really interesting chaotic time to be alive, but there's a lot of hope still because mm. we have better science than ever. We have more knowledge than ever. It's just not evenly distributed. And my mission in life has been like, basically I saw Andrew Weil. I was like, man, if that guy can build an entire movement around optimizing health through integrative medicine, then maybe I can do something similar with personalized medicine and with personal health technologies. Well, and that's, you know, I'm, where yeah. I am today. I'm going to let Michael fanboy out here about Chris Palmer because <laughs> yeah. that's one of Michael's idols. Oh uh, yeah, he's incredible. He's absolutely incredible. <laughs> he is incredible. just a rock star. And mm -hmm. like his book is super technical, but I think for people, like my, my editors didn't really want me to put nearly as much mitochondrial science in my, into my book. And I kind of regret it a little bit, but I also love that he has written this book that is deeply technical. And I think if people want to read this stuff, you know, I think yeah. it's really, it's really exciting that there's people able to translate these really hard to understand cellular biology tenants into approachable mm. science, sure. you know? Sure. Yeah. And I was going to say too, I mean, you mentioned kind of the obstacle around the standard American diet, processed food and how that's kind of like driven and funded. But the, I think another obstacle that we run into sometimes in our integrative space or biohacking space yeah. is the complication. You know, sometimes people get into it and there's so many varying opinions that they don't exactly know what to do. Noisy. So, yeah. you know, there's all these extreme diets, like in your experience, you know, what, what are some specific biohacks and extreme diets that yeah. actually might work against women or, or just individuals? I mean, somebody asked me yesterday a few days ago, like, what do you think of juice cleanses? Mm. And I was like, first of all, a juice fast is not a fast. It's juice. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, sugar. you're drinking a lot <laughs> right. of juice. Right. Yeah. And having done these before, like, I do think that they can help you re like kind of like re remember what it feels like to be hungry. But whenever I've done juice, like whenever I've consumed juice, it, and I wear a blood sugar monitor, it's just you're riding the glycemic roller coaster day in, day out. Mm -hmm. And so having experimented with these in the past, I definitely don't believe in them anymore. Um, but I also, you know, I, when I first got into biohacking, I was like very gung-ho about fasting. And I was on the, all these podcasts and I was like, fasting is the secret. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it did work for me. Like it really helped me fix my fasting glucose and it did help me um, fix my metabolic dysfunction because I had some insulin resistance. But I 
uh, now that I've fixed, now that I have like a normal, and in fact, I have like low blood sugar because I have, I keep, I eat a lower, lower carb diet. Mm-hmm. If I fast too long, I, I get, I get like low blood sugar and I don't, and I, and I can hit ketosis and I can drop into ketosis. But one of the things I tried to teach women in this book is that like, not everybody's a candidate for fasting, but fasting is a great tool in the toolbox, mm-hmm. but you really need to know how to use it and who's it best used for. So like Jason Fung wrote this great book. The Complete Guide to Fasting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I read that book and I was like, man, I feel like I found the holy grail of, of like metabolic disease fixing it, you know? But then uh, it was like during a really particularly stressful time where I was, I went from doing a lot of fasting to being really stressed out over some work stuff and relationship stuff. And I was like, man, I can't fast anymore. What's the deal? And then during the pandemic, it was like almost impossible. And I was like, whoa, maybe there's something that we're not talking about when it comes to this fasting stuff. And it's the interplay between fasting and stress Mm -hmm. and fasting is a mitohormetic stressor. So it's, it's going to improve the mitochondrial function and it is going to make you stronger if you use it properly. But if you overdo it in the context of too much stress, Mm -hmm. you're going to overflow your stress cup. So there's a lot of eating disorders in women as well. So women with eating disorders really probably shouldn't be fasting, but, um, you know, I do, th- I, I, I dealt with bulimia in high school and college and I was able to overcome it. And like fasting, when I started fasting, it definitely didn't seem to cause me any other issues myself, but I know other women have had issues with eating disorders and fasting can sometimes um, be described by people as like, you know, some people really do look at fasting as an eating disorder, but there are fasting clinics all over the world. The, it's really about using it properly for the right population for the right amount of time. Mm-hmm. And it's not a one size fits all thing. You definitely need to like know if it's right for you. And also like for people who have metabolic diseases, they're going to be probably better candidates. But even before you go into fasting, you want to make sure you're, you're metabolically flexible. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest problems I see today is metabolic inflexibility. Yeah. And there's this concept of BMI being really best for population health but not as real. It's really not as good for individual health. Mm -hmm. So like what I mean by that is like, it's actually more important that you understand where your fat is located and how much body fat you have. And, and is it visceral fat? And so there's this idea of being under fat or over fat. And so you can be, and then literally there's a way you can actually be metabolically healthy and obese, and you can be metabolically unhealthy and not obese. Mm -hmm. So this is the complexity here is like, your weight isn't really the biggest predictor of your metabolic health. It's where is the fat located? Is it infiltrating your, your organs and is it causing a higher waist circumference or is it evenly distributed throughout your body and it, and has it affected your metabolism? And I got into this when I was studying insulin resistance and trying to understand like, why is it that people get postprandial hyperglycemia? Why is it that after meals, people get blood sugar spikes Mm -hmm. and why is it that people have higher blood sugar to begin with fasting? And I realized that it was partially due to what we eat, partially due to our fat storage in our body, and partially due to our exercise regimen, how much we move our body and use our fuel, and partially due to our stress levels, and 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 specifically like the stress of our environment. So like just living in a polluted area with high, you know, with a high um, air quality index can actually cause some insulin resistance, just like smoking mm-hmm. can, because mm-hmm. these are both forms of pollution that can affect the the cell on a cellular level. Well, I'll tell you, I completely resonate with everything you're saying here, Dr. Molly, because my whole life I was keto, super low carb, faster. I wore a level CGM, felt great. Then midlife comes, hormones change. The stress of all of this completely worked against me. We Mm -hmm. spoke to Esther Blum on the podcast about menopause and different Mm -hmm. metabolic changes. So that personalized approach is super important. And I completely resonate with what you're saying. But as as you're tailoring diet... 
and yeah. nutrition or other interventions, do you use the functional medicine laboratory testing in practice? Like, do you use a Absolutely. Like how, how, <laughs> I, guess I mean, this yes. is really what I do, right? So <laughs> right. I'm looking at, you know, your, I'm, first I'm looking at your basic blood labs, right? I want to look at your lipids, but I want to look at your NMR lipoprotein profile. Mm-hmm. Cause I want to see, do you have pattern A, pattern B of LDL? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of particles or, or normal amounts? What's your HDL look like? What does your triglycerides look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, your, your total cholesterol, like how high is it? You know, is it, is it concerning or is it like generally okay? Um, and then I like to look at omega-3s, which you guys also measure and your omega-3s, omega-6s, and then sort of the profiles of those mm-hmm. just to find out like, are you getting, do you need a supplement or not? Um, and then the NutriVal is pretty, pretty darn important to my practice because not only does it give you just this global picture of like, what are your vitamins and nutrient need? What are your nu- nutrient needs? Do you need more plant-based antioxidants? Do you need probiotics and, and digestive enzymes? Do you have mitochondrial dysfunction? Is there mm-hmm. something going on with your prep cycle? Do you mm-hmm. have heavy metal toxicity? Um, do you have oxidative stress markers? What's going on with your, you know, dopamine and norepinephrine mm-hmm. and serotonin? You know, right. you can look and see those byproducts of neurotransmitter metabolism. And then like, do you have high MBTE mm-hmm. like, or M- MTBE, which yeah. is like, yeah. you are a pro, you are like, a holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, are you, are you living in a polluted area? Are you getting yeah. a lot of exhaust fumes in your body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just looking at this whole thing saying, okay, let's look at your amino acids. Like, do you get enough glycine? Are you getting enough connective tissue or do you need to supplement with collagen and bone broth? Like, do you, do are your, all of your amino acids low? Are you getting enough protein? Like, you know, I can see so much in this lab. Mm-hmm. That and I, I have the entire NutriVal broken down into a Word document, which is a table that's about 45 pages. Uh-huh. So if there's anything in there that I'm like, what is that marker? And I go into my little encyclopedia <laughs> and I go see, okay, like, because I can't memorize every one of those markers. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many of them. Yeah. Right. But it has, when I first started using this thing, I had no idea what any of this meant. And then over the years, I would regularly just like learn all these different little markers. And then before you know it, you're like a pro. Right. And it's funny because I had a call with, um, I, had a, had a, I had a bit of a controversial interview with my friend, Joseph Cohen from Self-Hacked. And he was like, well, my team has looked into all of these markers and we just haven't found any research on your organic acids. I'm like, oh. dude, like, I don't know if you're searching for the right keywords, mm. but like, <laughs> This stuff's been around for a long time right. and right. like you might need to just like figure out how you're searching. Cause a lot of these, these like markers have different names mm-hmm. and he's like, and it's funny because there is still a lot of doubt out there about metabolomics, but I, I do think with AI and machine learning, yeah. eventually it'll make it a lot easier for doctors to actually be able to take this information and just interpret it more easily. But right now it's still kind of um, slightly analog, but in some <laughs> ways your report does make it easier for me to at least get a general quick overview of a person's health. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can feel free to send them along to us because we've got like a what, about a thousand, two thousand yeah. different references for a lot yeah, of the analyzes. Yeah. yeah, our support yeah. guys. There's like thousands of yeah. references there. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe I should send. I was literally thinking, maybe I should send them to Genova. Yes. And be <laughs> yes. like, we got you. I just don't think you know because like the funny thing about PubMed is that there's a lot of research on PubMed, but it does not have everything. Mm -hmm. And it definitely like surprisingly oftentimes has a lot of things that's missing. And then you have to be like, well, where did those papers go? You know, like, yeah. So anyway, well, we know, I mean, how important metabolic flexibility is, how important blood sugar stability is. um, And 
to help us with that, we, you know, a lot of people are using more and more tools like CGMs and yeah. things of that nature, which I, I think are great, especially going back to like the, the personalization of diet, because not everyone's going to yeah. react the same to the same food. So, but yeah. when does it become a bit of a downside in your opinion for some of these wearable devices? Well, if you become, you know, there's this concept of orthorexia and eating where like mm -hmm. you become too obsessed with things. Right. And I really do think there's a, there's like a balance point, right? So having used all these devices and then during the pandemic, everything was so stressful. Mm -hmm. And I was like living in the Midwest and I felt a little bit out of place there. I felt like, mm -hmm. oh my God, I'm like in a different world. It's like 10 years behind. <laughs> and I didn't mean that like rudely. I mean, right. I'm from Peoria, Illinois, so I can, I can say that because I'm from there. <laughs> but, um, when I was there, I was like, I feel very out of place and I feel like I'm the only one here doing all this stuff. So I kind of went a little lax with all my monitoring because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to test. Do I even need all this stuff? Mm -hmm. Here I am. What if I'm wrong? You know, like mm -hmm. what if I'm just this like, what if I'm just like some innovator who like is drink her own Kool-Aid and like, what if I, so I wanted to stress test my own, my own beliefs. Mm -hmm. So I started eating more like a normal person. I started having normal Midwestern food promptly gained 10 pounds mm -hmm. and basically really felt unwell for like a good first year. And I think there's a lot of reasons to be unwell during the first year of the pandemic, but it was interesting how the year later in 2021, I started putting on my blood sugar monitors. I started, cause I was like, I'm losing this weight and I'm mm -hmm. getting back in shape. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm putting, I put on my blood sugar monitor. I put on my aura ring. I started tracking my steps again. I started tracking my sleep again. I started trapping, trapping my, tracking my fasting glucose. And just, you know, the, one of the simplest ways to lose weight is to just keep your postprandial blood sugar under 110. Mm -hmm. If you can, mm -hmm. it's not easy, but it's just eating lower carb and just like, you know, in avoiding the sugar, avoiding the big spikes. And I, I started losing the weight. I started feeling better. I started, my skin was more, more vibrant. My, I had some acne that I would, that I had gotten from my diet that it resolved. And I was like, you know, as much as I like want to believe that like people can be as healthy as possible without this stuff for me, at least in my life and my clients' lives, like without, when you have data, you can make better decisions, mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. when you, when you kind of fly blind, it's like, you're kind of trusting that your decisions are consistent enough that your body's not going to break down. Right. The reality is, is that I run my body like a high performance race car <laughs> and I'm going to need more pit stops than the average, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. I need to get yeah. my labs done more. I got to keep tabs on things. I'm trying to slow down next year and like be more like a normal car, but <laughs> I, 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 I kind of feel like it's, it is who I, part of who I am, but I definitely, I definitely pushed myself pretty hard last year. Um, and I, I think when you have information about your body, um, it's, it's like, it, it doesn't mean that I, it doesn't mean that I like, I listen every day to everything I see. Like sometimes like I had, it was, I had birthday cake last weekend for my friend's birthday mm -hmm. and it was really fun and I enjoyed it and it caused a blood sugar spike, but like, I don't eat birthday cake every day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a mm -hmm. special occasion thing. I do think that what I've found is like, I've gotten to be a little bit more of a realistic biohacker now than like, and when I lived in the Bay area, I was like so strict all the time, but I, I wasn't as happy as I am now where I give myself a little bit more leeway mm -hmm. and, um, I feel a little bit more human, you know, yeah. like yeah. I think. Yeah. You got to be human in this world where there's a lot of things going on. And also when you're with other people and you have all these dietary restrictions, I'm already gluten-free and I don't drink very much almost ever. And so that bugs people a lot. You know, like when you don't eat wheat and you don't drink, they're like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Right. And I'm like, well, I just don't feel good. And yeah. every time I kind of break those rules, I'm not wheat, but alcohol, I always feel the next day, like I literally drank that drink for that other person. I didn't do it right. for me. I did it for them. Mm -hmm. So 
in some ways, um, I kind of feel like, you know, you have to find out what's going to work best for you and your body. But for me, CGM has been a vital role in me, in my, in my, my body improving over time, getting your energy in, in order is fundamental to longevity because it's the marker of it literally like HRV and CGM and blood sugar, you know, CGM is being continuous glucose monitoring, mm -hmm. like blood sugar and stress and movement and sleep. Like these are four very simple markers that if you track them, I guarantee you're going to improve your metabolic health. If you can improve them and you can get into a solid eight hours of sleep every night, getting into a healthy, my, my, my big goal next year is to, is to biohack my HRV. Mm. Um, I'm a big fan of the company Hanu health. Um, mm -hmm. and I just feel like my HRV is like, that's where I have room to improve, mm. but I've improved my CGM since 2014 significantly. I went from like upper nineties to like lower eighties for fasting glucose. Mm. And I went from like regularly being after 140 after meals to like, if I eat the way I normally eat, I'm around 110 to 120 max after mm -hmm. meals. Mm -hmm. And that's that, that, that if I didn't have this data source, I wouldn't be able to actually say that, you know, um, and I wouldn't have been able to track it so I could improve it. So it's one of those things where there's, I know there's a lot of doctors listening and, um, the biggest drivers of disease to me are diet, lack of exercise, and too much stress. Mm -hmm. We can monitor these now. Okay. And so it's one of those things where it, to me, it's a vital part of my practice. And I don't, I, I do think that if, if you start having obsessive compulsive behaviors around it, you might want to take a break, yeah. but if you can maintain, I mean, you can, you can use these on your clients as diagnostic tests. You know, you can use them as like, okay, let's look at this person's lifestyle and see where are they at. Um, and that's how I like to use them. I don't make my clients wear them 24 seven unless they want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to piggyback on this because you're right. Data is compelling and it does keep you accountable, <laughs> right? And it keeps you on track that yeah. which can be measured, can be tracked. But yeah. as it relates to women and in your book, the spark factor, we, we know that women notoriously ignore their own health. They focus on other people. They, they're not always in touch with their physical bodies. So how do you teach that when some of these signals are so far removed from them? Yeah. I mean, so much of what the the practice of optimizing health is doing is like really taking the holistic model and the biopsychosocial model and trying to communicate, communicate those to people. And I was so focused on just biomarkers for so long. And then when I experienced a lot of changes in my personal life since 2019, um, it kind of like I started meditating. I started going to meditation retreats and I started realizing that like I was missing the psychological and the spiritual aspects of health. Mm -hmm. And they became a big focus of my, of my career in the last mm -hmm. few years of just understanding the role of spirituality and the role of, um, of, you know, psychology and health. And that's, that's why I started studying the science of love because I was like, it seems like love heals, but also lack of love causes real disease. Mm -hmm. And so why, what's underneath all of this? And when I was researching, um, spirituality, I discovered that like one of the biggest reasons why spirituality is so is associated with health is because of the community aspect. Mm -hmm. And so just like connecting with one's community is a particularly powerful way to improve one's mental health and physical health. Um, but women have this incredible intuition <laughs> and this intuition is like, a really important part of being human. Mm. And it's funny because we, we aren't always in touch with those body signals, right? That's the thing. And, and if we only rely on data, then we're not really tapping into our inner wisdom. And so honestly, the last year has been a major journey on um, really learning to hear my higher self talk. And I actually hired a spiritual coach specifically because mm. I was like, 
I need to tap. I have great intuition. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why don't I listen to it? Yeah. <laughs> you right, know, right. and how do I learn to do that? And a lot of what she taught me was just different meditation techniques that really got me to connect with myself, my higher self. And I love internal family systems for this as well, mm-hmm. because it helps yeah. women realize like, when are you actually in your firefighter? When are you in your manager? Mm-hmm. When are you in your exile? And when are you mm. in your higher self versus your lower self? Yeah. Mm. And it's a beautiful model for understanding the different parts of who we are. So I did a lot of internal family systems. I did a lot of spiritual, I did a lot of meditation, spiritual coaching. And now I'm at a place where I'm just like, okay, now I just need to learn to trust my intuition. Cause like, yes. it's almost never wrong. And so I just have to actually listen to it, mm. you know? And it's one of those things where just takes practice. It's like a muscle yeah. Yeah. listening to it, hearing it. It doesn't, it doesn't shout. It usually whispers. So you have to get really quiet and still, which is really hard to do if you're someone with kids, someone with a family, but you got to create that time in your day for stillness and mm. listening. And so for me, it's the right before I wake up in the morning or right before I go to bed at night. It's a good hour of me um, just like listening to my inner wisdom and like tapping into that part of myself, my subconscious through things like prayer, visualization, meditation. A lot of these practices are um, challenging for a lot of people because they require you to just be still. But what I found is that like, you know, if you just practice over and over again and you make it easy on yourself, like some people think I have to be like in a room on a pillow, sitting up perfectly straight. And it's like, yes, of course that works best. If you really Mm -hmm. want to be a true meditator, but give yourself some grace and just lay still and breathe, right. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. and listen, yeah. listen to your body and do the same thing before meals, like sit down and listen to your body. What is it telling you? You know, and this morning my body said, I started looking at my aura ring, started looking at my HRV and started looking at my, um, my blood sugar. And it was like, clearly, um, it was like, Clearly it was asking, you know, it was asking me like, Hey, I think you haven't really done a lot of exercise in the last few days. Cause you were traveling, maybe go, go outside and go find a coffee mm-hmm. shop and like a walk around. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I got outside. It was beautiful. It had just been raining and it ended and it was sunny. And I had this lovely like hour long walk today because mm-hmm. it took me a while to find a coffee shop that was open, <laughs> but, um, it really just, it was like, I got sunlight in my face and I got this beautiful walk in and I just had such a good feeling inside just because I like listened to my intuition. It told me I needed to go walk and I knew I was gonna have a bunch of calls and things to do. And it's just like health doesn't have to be as hard as we make it out to be. Yeah. But the biggest impediment to optimal health is this inner voice telling, like not tapping into our inner wisdom and then also beating yourself up for not doing the things that you think you need to do to stay healthy. Yeah. Sure. Well, and it's, we're so conditioned not to listen to it, you know, it's like all throughout yeah. society is so hard to even just, I mean, the idea of just starting with like, Hey, just sit in your chair for five minutes and just stare at a wall like that. Like we need to approach it in the same way we approach so many of our other behavior changes with that idea of like, okay, well, where are we? You know what I mean? And I think that's so important. Um, yeah. And the same goes for, for love and and social connection too. And I was going to get your thoughts on, on that as well, because again, I mean, we find that as socially connected air quotes as we are, are we really right? And what are relationships today? What they, what they maybe used to be and how we were originally designed. So your thoughts on, uh, you know, the Adama bioscience, uh, the work that you're doing there and and overall the healing power of love. Yeah. I mean, so when I started this company, initially I was like, love is this beautiful thing and everyone loves it. It's so great. And then I was like, um, when I started studying it, I was like, Oh geez, love is really complicated. There's actually <laughs> there's no the poets were right. You know, like there, it's a complex topic and 
it is incredibly powerful. It's probably the driving force of creation in, in this earth, you know, but it's also, you know, when I look at love, like I, I was trying to find a definition of love that made sense to me. And when I kind of came to the conclusion that it's a motivational force that we evolved to actually create proximity between ourselves and others in order to facilitate sharing information, sharing resources, and increasing the chances of reproduction and increasing the chances of protecting those we love, mm-hmm. right? So the protection is a big part of love too. And I, I, so I started digging into the, like the neurobiology of love. And so sexuality is largely driven by testosterone and estrogen because these are the sex, this is part of the sex hormones, part of the sex drive. Mm-hmm. But then romantic love is this like, you know, it, it strikes everybody at least once in life. And it's, it's kind of like a temporary insanity because you're just flooded with, with hormones, like <laughs> yeah, dopamine, norepinephrine and serotonin. <laughs> it's terrible. So it, it, it's funny that so many people make, like I saw some friends get engaged recently and they've only been dating since like May of last year. And I was like, oh man, I really just don't think they have enough time together to Here make this decision. Get my I really think you should spend a few years with someone before you tie the knot. Because <laughs> you're kind of high and you're making a decision while you're high. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and romantic love typically, you know, it can, like passionate love can last many, many years for people. But the intense high of romantic love is really the first year of your relationship. And, and then it kind of settles into, there's like companion love, there's committed love and there's passionate love. And, and if you have all three, consummate love, which is, you know, our, what most people want. Then there's also attachment, right? So when we have children, there's this hormone of oxytocin that plays a role in not only orgasm, but so between, you know, during the sexual act, you get orgasm. When you have a baby, you need oxytocin to, to actually enable the birthing process. Mm-hmm. And then when you have the child to, to breastfeed the child, you have oxytocin released. And then just holding a child will release oxytocin. Mm-hmm. And it creates bonding and trust and love and safety and attunement, right? And so it's like this incredible hormone of which women are actually oxytocin dominant. Men are more vasopressin dominant. So men are much more responsible for protection for defense, for aggression, for aggression. And it's actually baked into our neurobiology as well. So there's this like whole theory that like there's, we're moving to a genderless society, but like biologically speaking, we are different. So, um, so then there's um, like familial bonds. And we believe that it's thought that familial bonds evolved because they actually enhanced longevity of the family. Mm -hmm. So if you lost a parent or if you lost a a sibling, you'd have other people to support and, and protect. And obviously families share information and resources and, um, and then there's, um, social bonds. Right. And so I'm particularly interested in, in like what isolation has done to humanity, Mm. unfortunately, and what social, what social media has done. So to me, isolation during the pandemic was potentially a necessary thing that had to happen, but at the same time, it caused a lot of diseases of despair, Mm -hmm. a lot of suicide, a lot of addiction, some homicides, more domestic abuse more child abuse and more sex abuse. And so it's like isolation is really not healthy for human biology. Mm-hmm. And we know this because we've, there's plenty of animal studies all over PubMed where they literally use isolation as a mechanism for inducing mental health models, mm-hmm. mental ill health mm-hmm. models in animals so they can study them for drugs. So if we already knew this, then we probably should have thought a little bit more clearly about how we recommended people isolate because you really do need people to, to survive and thrive in this complex world. And your social bonds are highly linked to your long-term health. So every single blue zone, all these blue zones have one thing in common and it's community. Yep. It's fundamental. Mm-hmm. You walk more, you spend time with people more, you have a large, you have, you have more social capital, less social frailty. 
So social frailty is when your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller as you sp stop spending as much time with people. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of elderly, socially frail people. And there's a relationship between social frailty, physical frailty. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we don't talk about enough as well, is that the less you move, the more your muscles waste because your body doesn't make more muscle mass if, it's, as, if it isn't told it needs more muscle mass. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's so fascinating because I'm just like, man, if this is so darn important. Why are we not measuring it? You know, mm -hmm. why are we not trying to teach people about this? And like somewhere around one in seven men like have no friends. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really big problem that we have to start tackling at a systemic level if we want our country to thrive in the face of so much adversity. Um, and that's really part of the mission I'm on is to basically there's all these different level, levels and layers of love and with every single facet of love there's there's a positive side but there's a negative side so with sexuality you know there's there's a beautiful act of sex but there's also rape with romantic love there's a beautiful act of falling in love and then there's loss and grief mm -hmm. right with attachment you know we have these incredible attachments that keep us strong and alive and healthy but then we have the grief of loss mm -hmm. you know and then with with social connection there's also social ostracism. Mm. And so to me, it's like, I'm trying to train the world that you really, if you want to understand love and the positive aspects of love, you have to understand the negative aspects too, because they go in hand in hand. And by understanding the positives, we can amplify them, but we have to understand why the negatives emerge and what we can do about those as well. And I think it's a much more balanced approach to this aspect of human health. Um, and it also explains a lot of disease in this world. It really does. Like if you look at the DSM, so much of this is due to abuse and neglect and adverse childhood experiences. And what I really find interesting is the intersection of mental health and, and physical health. Mm -hmm. So you can absolutely affect your physiology by having negative life experiences. And there's a relationship between metabolic syndrome and mental health problems. And I just wrote a paper that's getting reviewed by the Frontiers in Psychiatry all about this topic of like, how, what is the sort of common pathway of how social injury and so and social stress can affect our biology mm -hmm. and it really comes down to the hpa axis mm -hmm. and the stress response cycle which is also mediated by the mitochondria which a lot of people don't know wow. yeah. all right well i'm blown away by the profundity of this seriously. discussion seriously and i i just want to thank you dr molly for all of these things and if you're out there and you're listening to this and you want to follow dr molly and and join her movement you can check out drmolly.co and please pre-order her book that's coming out on the 31st, The Spark Factor. But before we let you go, Dr. Molly, we do have one last question that I'm going to kick to Michael Chapman. Yeah, we always have a silly, ridiculous, nonsense question. It has nothing to do with interviews. anything. It's, oh, and, great. And this is like a totally inappropriate one as well. Oh, in the no. Sense of Michael. If you were to throw your CGM out the window and just yeah. throw caution to the wind, what is the best ice cream flavor on the planet? Ah, oh my God. It's so hard to choose, but like, you know, um, I have to say when you like gelato to me is like the best mm. by far. And I always typically get like chocolate hazelnut, like Nutella vibes or pistachio. Pistachio gelato. Um, I love it. Love gelato. Love it. Really big kind of pistachio. Yeah, so it's great. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to call. Casey Means and apologize for the fact that you told well, Molly I mean, you're Malou gonna put to it throw back out a on. CGM. You're just going to ignore it for 24 hours. <laughs> I mean, I it's funny thing about wearing a CGM is you can start to learn what your blood sugar feels like at different levels. Oh, nice. And I have we we should really do some sort of like fun test where we have to like eat something and then like gauge our blood sugar levels cuz I can really like I can oh, basically oh, like Oh, nice. Yeah. It's a game like, show. 
I mean, it really, it would be a fun thing. Yeah, it's a good game show. <laughs> yeah, I, like I love it. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Well, again, Dr. Molly Maloof, profound. So many aha moments here. We're going to encourage everyone to go to drmolly.co and, of course, to check out the book, The Spark Factor. And yeah. we can't thank you enough thank for your you time. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. It was such a pleasure. Oh my God! So I, I don't so even many, know where to begin. So many topics were covered in I don't this podcast. Don't even know where to begin. I literally, as she was talking, was taking notes. Yeah. Number one, because I'm fascinated. Number two, I'm like, half of the stuff she was talking about in of itself is an entire podcast right. that I totally want to dive right. into and go jumping into literature. The woman basically can cover anything. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to this podcast because first time through, I probably was only smart <laughs> enough to pick up about ten percent. <laughs> Me too. Like you know how a lot of people listen to podcasts and stuff on one point five. Like I'm gonna like uh, I'm gonna have to go back and point five probably point well, five x. Well, I just pre ordered the book, so I'm covered. Next time on the Lab Report, we're gonna talk to Dr. Jillian Ehrlich, and I'm gonna learn all about Ayurvedic medicine. Oh yeah, dust off the doshas, vada pitta Which one are you, Patty? Probably all of them. None of them. I don't know yet. You've been listening to the Lab Report. If you like what you hear please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Okay, here we are a couple weeks later. You're still getting feedback on the starch episode. (laughs) It was a big one, huh? Who knew? I told you. I was pretty darn bored up front. I was like, you've got to be kidding. Episode on starch. Let's and then all of a bland. sudden. It's called bland. I was I, like, it's right. going to be great. And then it set the internet on fire. That's we right. We keep getting Apparently. comments. <laughs> Apparently. Team Potato has a mighty army. Look out.